Hey, I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for listening. This episode is supported by The Podcast Host. Get your own podcast up and running with their help, courses, support groups, and more. Check out The Podcast Host via beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for copywriter Kelly Gilmore Grassham. If your hours are full, all you can do is raise your price, which you can only do to a certain extent. So that's where the idea of creating an, an agency or a business that would, you know, have scope to grow came from. And it's, if I'm going to be doing this for the next 40 years, how am I going to make my income grow appropriately and make it something that I want to do forever? Whatever it is, you probably think that your skills just quite normal because you're good at it and that's why you're doing it. But for other people, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how well you write. Like you you do magic with words. And I'm like, really? Because I just sit down and it just come. And that's where you've really got to shift your perspective as a freelancer. It's not about what you value your time. It's what your client values what you're doing. So it might take you half an hour to do something, but if that saves somebody three hours writing a blog, that's worth a lot to them. Hey, how you doing? That's Kelly then. More from her in a moment. She was the Ipsy Freelancer of the Year for the Aspire category. So that's Young Freelancer of the Year uh, last year. And uh, I bumped into her at this year's awards. So we arranged a chat, which you hear in a moment, Ipsy or Ipsay or Ipsa. I noticed at the event that nobody seemed to know how to say it, by the way, not even the people who worked for them, which was interesting. Uh, they're the Association of Independent Professionals and the Self-Employed here in the UK. Um, something similar called Freelancers Union in the States. Maybe there's some others around the world that you know of as well. Anyway, I recommend checking them out. We'll put links, of course, to everything that we chat about, including that in the show notes check it out beingfreelance.com so yes kelly's coming up with some great insights in fact probably as much great insights and tips as there is car alarms which you'll see or rather hear what i mean first though announcement remember back in june i took the show on the road uh, well one road straight into london uh, we did a lot actually it was a train anyway we did a live panel version of the podcast of the new media europe conference with four fantastic freelancing guests and you can now hear that episode so recorded live in front of an audience including questions from them for that matter so if you'd like to hear that episode it's exclusively available to those who are on the being freelance mailing list to hear for free right now so sign up if you haven't already done so at beingfreelance.com and bag your download of our live episode Right, back to this one now, and let's go to Manchester in the UK and say hello to copywriter Kelly Gilmore-Grassam. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm well, thank you for uh, yeah for joining us for, for this. Um, how about we get started hearing about how you got started being freelance? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I got into freelancing when I was at university. I had two waiting jobs, which I was doing on evenings and weekends, and I was trying to save up for traveling around South America when I graduated. So I thought, how could I make a bit more income and you know use my skills? And so I saw a few opportunities for freelance writing on the web. And at the time, I managed to bag an opportunity writing for EasyJet and low-cost holidays, which... I'm sure now they wouldn't really hire student writers, but at the time it was fantastic. 
and I do a little bit sort of in the holidays, you know, um, in between studies, and it went from there. I carried on around South America when I graduated, and um, returning in 2014 with no job and no money, I thought, well, why don't I give it a go full time? So hang on. So how did you find those jobs? Was that like through like online marketplaces type thing, or? Yeah, I was on literally every student job website going, uh, and it just so happened that it cropped up. You know, writing at the time, I think I was writing something about family holidays in Mallorca and things like that. So yeah, I was quite lucky in in getting those jobs at the time. But then. You know, when I kind of switched on to the idea that those jobs were out there, went on platforms like Upwork, People Per Hour, um, until I, I no longer needed to really rely on them to find my clients. What did you make of the? I mean, it obviously worked for you, but how, how did you make those sites like Upwork and People Per Hour work for you? Um, I just found that, you know, you have to do a really good job at first to get a bit of a foot in the door because once you've got like a five-star rating you start attracting better clients higher pay um, and it's kind of a snowball effect with those sites because at first it's really hard to you know you're competing against other people for an opening but once you've got a bit of a reputation behind you it's like ebay you know you become a trusted seller and so yeah, eventually people start tuning in and you can increase your rate and you can be a bit more choosy about what jobs you pick. Um, and from there, you can really establish yourself. And would those be jobs where you pitch for them or would it be where people might find you and approach you? Um, it was a bit of both, really. Especially in the early stages, I found when, you know, when I was at university and I was trying to get jobs to do um, and I didn't have a portfolio behind me or anything. It was a lot of applying for jobs, but that was only really for the first few months. And then what you find is, you know, people seek you out because they're looking for people that have, they can rely on that are within their price range and that they, you know, have got a portfolio that they can use. So that it's kind of a seesaw effect in that at first, you know, you're doing a lot of the work and it's a bit of an uphill struggle. But then after that, like, for example, nowadays, um, well, it'll be six years on soon. Nowadays, I don't ever apply for jobs. They just come to me. Yeah, so at one point, it just the balance kind of tips in your favour. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. a tipping point. And it's just that reputation. Once people can see, you know, they can look at a portfolio and see you their work for yourself especially as a writer and you know they see reviews or they get good feedback from friends that will refer you then you don't need to prove yourself because you know people are coming to you as um as an expert rather than you know <laughs> when I started out as a student looking for a bit of extra money on the side yeah now so here's the thing is that you so you said that was like six years ago when you were at uni but then you went traveling so what year was that that was 2013 and you came back was uh, and you know other than a lovely tan you you found that you didn't have you didn't have any work so you could have just kept on doing what you were doing but it's obviously grown from there because you don't just trade as Kelly anymore right yeah exactly i mean so when i came back um in march 2014 i my my parents live on a farm in yorkshire in the middle of nowhere and so oh, there's lovely. no it is it's is blissful they've got donkeys we've got dogs cats everything but there aren't many jobs unless you want to be a farmer so so I kind of just thought well I'll do this for a bit 
see how I get on and use it as a platform to get a job. And then within a couple of months when I was full time and I was snowed under with work, I thought, well, actually, I've already got a job. So how am I going to make this work long term? Because even though at the time I was on a really good wage, you know, compared to my friends and to say that I'd only just come back from traveling, um, I was very aware of the fact that my friends were in, you know, grad jobs and careers where they were going to progress quite quickly and that I would probably get left behind if I was, you know, if, you, if your hours are full, all you can do is raise your price, which you can only do to a certain extent. So that's where the idea of creating an, an agency or a business that would, you know, have scope to grow came from. And it, it was just really, you know, I'm 20, well, at the time I was 20, 21. Um, if I'm going to be doing this for the next... 40 years how am I going to make my income grow appropriately and make it something that I want to do forever man I mean that's one hell of a a vision to have isn't it because it can be so tempting especially when you're 21 to like live for the moment uh, because it feels like a long way away yeah exactly and that's it was quite um it was quite a quick shift to be honest from going from you know traveling around the world well traveling around South America with just a rucksack to actually having a load of clients and responsibilities and having to <laughs> grow up actually quite quickly because it was a very different lifestyle within the space of six months that I'd adopted and I think that's where perhaps my struggles in business have been is learning the business side of things because I'm very comfortable as a writer but I very quickly had to wise up to things like tax returns and, you know, um, bookkeeping and, well, mainly I struggle with the account side of things personally, but, you know, knowing how to deal with difficult situations, um, yeah, and just things that when you're a passionate writer, like anybody that's a freelancer, they're passionate about what they do, but they might not be born with that natural business instinct, Um, so you do have to learn quite fast. So how did you take that step into turning into a company once you decided to? And I don't mean literally filling in the forms. I mean, <laughs> like gr- gr- growing it, I guess, and dealing with it. Yeah, so I kind of, I kept it just myself working for the first, uh, well, for 2014. And then over Christmas, um, I kind of thought, well, this isn't, I'm, I'm so busy and I, I kind of need to be able to, I don't want my turnaround times to be affected and I need to keep on servicing my clients and delivering a good job so I thought okay so after Christmas I'm going to try and see about hiring a freelancer so then I I basically gave a trial piece to a couple of freelancers to see if we were a good fit in terms of our writing styles found someone that I worked really well with and um, started giving that work to her so you know, I'd have my workload for the week. I'd see that maybe I had a bit too much on. And so I'd give a brief and give like, I don't know, a three-day turnaround. And then I'd edit the work and send it off. So that quickly made a model that I was able to scale quite quickly. So by October, I had eight freelancers. And that's where it really transformed from being just me being a freelancer to working as an agency. Wow. And where did you find those freelancers? Did you go back to the job boards, but this time as a client? No, to be honest. Um, well, actually, I did for one of them. I put it on Upwork and that had a really good response. But things just like Twitter, Twitter's fantastic for, you oh. know, if you put in the right hashtags, people will respond. And everybody's always searching Twitter for job opportunities and openings. So I found that that worked really well. But I mean, there has been a real rise of freelance job platforms. So I mean, I've just hired my first employee, but if I was to go down the route again of getting freelancers, which I intend to, 
um, would be to use those sort of things, things like network freelance, um, where they're very pro everybody getting a fair pay and fair treatment. And I'm quite, having been a freelancer myself, I think that's really important to have a model that is fair on your freelancers. So how did you manage suddenly having eight freelancers working for you, like both logistically, I guess mentally, and and like, yeah, as part of that logistics, like the the pricing of it to make sure that you've you've suddenly factored that in right. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is tricky because you know it is a lot more to think about than, like you say, when you're just managing yourself. And when when it is just you, you can just say, well, I only need to pay myself X amount. So it kind of becomes irrelevant what you're charging. But then when you're paying another freelancer to do something, obviously you have to be more aware of costs. So, you know, I did have to increase my prices um, because I was charging, even as a freelancer, a lot of clients said I was charging too low, which I think is quite a common thing to do being self-employed is to undervalue what you're doing. Um, But I suppose it's just getting feedback and learning from what works and what doesn't like I found that having eight freelancers didn't actually work for me because I was spending more time editing than if I'd have just done all the work myself (laughs) um so now what I've done is I've rethought the model um taken on my employee with the idea that he'll look after the freelancers when we grow again um so I think it is a lot of trial and error finding out what works you know you'll but but I suppose it's taking the time to reflect and actually see what's happening because it's very easy to get bogged down in just coping and getting through the to-do list and getting to the end of the week and meeting a deadline but I think you've got to like even if it's once a month or you know once a fortnight however often it is to think okay what's been happening and look at the numbers look at the deadlines look at the turnaround times and see how you're delivering. Mm. I'm intrigued you said your client did your clients say that you were too low price wise yeah a couple of my clients said that actually <laughs> which you know when they're telling you that it's probably um, well it's a good sign if anything I'd rather somebody say that you're underpriced than overpriced um but I do think especially with a skill like you know with writing or anything design illustration whatever it is you probably think that your skills just quite normal because you're good at it and that's why you're doing it but for other people they're like oh my gosh I can't believe how well you write. Like you're, you do magic with words, and I'm like, really? Because I just sit down and it just come. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You just, yeah, you, yeah. it's how I think, and that's where you've really got to shift your perspective as a freelancer or as anyone in business. Is it's not about what you value your time; it's what your client values what you're doing. So it might take you half an hour to do something, but if that saves somebody three hours writing a blog, that's worth a lot to them. Mm. So you've. You just said that you've brought on an employee. So, I mean, that's quite a thing to do. Yeah, and it is. I mean, I love being a freelancer and I love the fact that it's so flexible. And, you know, even when I was using freelancers for my business, it was still very flexible. Um, And so there wasn't much risk involved, really. So it was very daunting making the shift from being a one-woman band to having somebody on the payroll and having to go limited and all of the kind of responsibilities that come with that but I do think as a young freelancer I think you need to have a bit of a growth plan there because a lot of freelancers I'm not wanting to generalize here but a lot of freelancers that I meet they've already been through the career path 
And so they are choosing to be freelancers either because they've got children or because they want a bit more of um, a lifestyle and they want that flexibility. Whereas for me, coming at it from the other angle of just starting out my career, I didn't really want to plateau or lose that momentum. Mm. So that's kind of why I took the leap. And so far, um, I mean, Josh, who's great, he's my new employee, We've just reached the end of our probation period, so it's been three months, which has flown by, and it's going really well. And I think, I think it was the natural step for me to take. And how did you find Josh? And are you working remotely? No, I've now got an office um, in the centre of Manchester, which is great. It's uh, it's obviously different from working from home because I have to now come in and I'm a boss and. If something goes wrong, it's all on my head and we're in a workspace with other people. So it's a massive cultural shift, um, both in terms of the way I'm working. Now there's two of us, you know, we have to communicate and I have to delegate to him. And just in terms of just the lifestyle, because before I could get up on a morning and just work in my pyjamas and now I have to look presentable because I'm in an office with other people. But, <laughs> but, it, but it is really, I find it really healthy working with Josh because it is quite easy to get stuck in a way of thinking and having somebody else there, he really challenges what I'm doing and vice versa. And so I feel a lot more creative now that he's around, which is great because, you know, it's so important in the creative industries to keep that those ideas going around and to stay fresh. So And so what is that, like a co-working space, is it, that you're in or...? It's a shared workspace. So it, it's we have our own dedicated desks, which is great. But, I mean... I looked at work at co-working spaces when I was searching for offices and it's very hard to find a balance. They're very personal co-working spaces. Some of them are quite youth hostily, some are very like professional um and you know quite um how do I put it? <laughs> quite slick and smart, whereas others are quite you know, the entrepreneurial spark side of things, very dynamic, very sort of um, accelerator style. So I think you've got to find one that works for you. And I couldn't really find one that was a good fit. So what have you ended up with? So I luckily um, joined a networking group recently and found a couple of people in that they had a few desks in their office. And so I have a dedicated desk, which works well because I'm in most days. So I don't want to have to fight, you know, like the German towel situation of trying to get down (laughs) to the deck chairs early so that you can get a space. You know what I mean? Um, It's nice to just have my, I've got my desktop there and I've got all of my things. I've got my own drawers and that's quite nice because it feels like we're more established, if you Mm. get what I mean. Yeah. And what's your client relationships like? Are they all remote or do you meet them face to face? Most of them are remote just from the way that I initially built the business. You know, being a freelancer, you're working from home, so it's not like you can invite them to your office. But what I found now is that we've got a meeting space so I can invite clients here. And that's really nice because you get to learn a lot more about them. Also being in the city centre, I can go out for meetings and coffees and especially having Josh on board, I've got more time to do that. So it is changing from being very much um, an online, you know, maybe you'll talk on the phone, but it's mainly via email, to being more meeting clients either through networking or um, through referral and actually meeting them and talking about what they want. So I am finding that it's becoming more of a Manchester-based business than it was before, which was perhaps it was quite virtual when I was a freelancer. 
I mean, I've got a client in Ecuador, I've got a client in Singapore. You can work remotely. I do think there are benefits to having a close relationship with a client because they treat you more as a peer rather than just a a blank face that supplies them with content once a week. Mm, Yeah. How do you go about marketing your, so what's your company called? It's Making You Content. Nice, because uh, I don't think we'd mentioned that yet. So <laughs> how do you go about marketing your company? Um, I find uh, networking is very effective because often when you know, you're speaking to people and you're out and about, they'll say, oh, you know, I really struggle to have the time to do that. And then you get into a conversation and, you know, in any business you find that you convert more when you, you're actually able to stand face to face and talk to someone about something um, I also find that blogging is really effective obviously I've got to practice what I preach so that's kind of our <laughs> bread and butter but um, I do find that you know somebody might read a blog and then they'll end up visiting our websites if you're looking at the analytics you can see how they've landed on your site and I do think producing content on a regular basis is important otherwise I wouldn't do it <laughs> but um yeah, I think blogging, networking, social media, LinkedIn is a fantastic tool. And I think if you use it wisely and actually, you know, if someone connects with you, for example, sending them a message and saying, oh, I see that you're from, I see you're also from Manchester. Like, you know, let me know if you'd like to have a coffee and things like that. It just, it's just engaging people. And I think it's so easy to see marketing as a one-way conversation, but it, it really isn't. You've got to be willing to actually interact and listen to what other people are saying. Mm, nice. So do you have to like be quite strict with a content creation schedule of your own? Yeah, I think that's one thing that when I was just by myself, I found really difficult because obviously the client comes first. And so I found that my content got sidelined a lot. Um, and now I've got more of a strategy for, you know, doing a monthly newsletter. Um, we, we do a sort of roundup on the blog Um once a month and then we do like try and do either once a week or once a fortnight do an informative blog so like the last one was about generating ideas for blog posts um i think the one before was about how your brand is if your design is like the wardrobe of your brand then content's like the voice and the personality and just things that get people thinking about not just copywriting and content but also marketing and branding as a whole so on your website you call yourself our award-winning copywriting agency how important has entering awards been for you i think i think it's not so much you know generating direct leads i think it's more the credibility that comes with it um i think when people do land on your website or they you know and they might have an email with you and if you've got that in the you know in your signature at the bottom saying the you know listing your awards I think it just gives you that credibility and it shows that you're not just you've got something to substantiate what you're saying that you can do Mm. it is important to apply for these things because they do give you exposure and even if you don't necessarily get a contact out of it straight away or a prospect people will have heard of you before and it also says on your site as featured on BBC Radio 4 BBC Radio 5 live so what's that yeah, I, I was invited to speak on BBC Radio 4 on the show that they were doing about being self-employed um, and the sort of the changing dynamics of self-employment and specifically for young people. Um, so that was quite at the time I was living in this tiny like one bed flat 
on the third floor of this apartment and I had like the two shows producers come with all their gear so having to lug it up to the top floor and we were sat I have like a had like a little love seat and then a desk chair and the three of us were just like huddled around this coffee table trying to do an interview so that was quite surreal but um I think you know putting yourself out there and I I found that really nerve-wracking being being on the radio the first time um but gradually you get more used to it. And I suppose it's just trying to... I think as Brits, we're quite... We find it quite awkward talking about what we're doing and putting ourselves out there. But I think you've got to see it as your business and not just you as a person. You've got to think, you know, my business needs this exposure and you, you kind of need to get over any fears that you have about doing that. And I suppose then producers talk and so you then leads on to other things. Yeah, exactly. Your name's sort of there on the list then. And I mean, I do a lot with Ipsy and the FSB, so I get a lot of opportunities through them as well. Uh, right. So it's useful being part of like trade organisations, I guess. Is that the word we'd use? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I definitely think so. Because people think with trade organisations, you know, they're just joining it for things like, I don't know, the care support or the insurance or the pension schemes. But actually, the, it's the whole package. If you actually engage with the people that are running it, like your regional chairman or, you know, the PR people, there's, there's a lot that they can do for you if you just show a willingness to get involved and kind of pitch in. should say for people, so FSE is Federation of Small Enterprises, is it? Yeah, the, the FSB, FSB, Federation rather. of Small Businesses, Small businesses. yeah. So they, they, yeah. they kind of do what Ipsy do, except Ipsy is more tailored towards um, sort of sole entrepreneurs, whereas Federation of Small Businesses is more like, you know, one to ten employees, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. They're everywhere, all over the UK, and no doubt wherever in the world you are, you'll have something similar to get stuck into. Uh, and Ipsy is the Association of Independent Professionals and the Self-Employed here in the UK. So links on the show notes at beingfreelance.com for this episode. You know what else is linked there too, of course. Only the nice people at the podcast host that support this podcast and support loads of other people producing podcasts around the world through their courses and mentorship and mastermind groups and technical assistance for that matter. They'll even edit and upload your podcast. So if you use the promo code FREELANCE, you'll get 10% off. So if you've been thinking about giving podcasting a go for your freelance business, hobby or community project, then do look them up. You can follow the link from beingfreelance.com and remember, use the promo code FREELANCE. Right, back to you though, Kelly. And earlier you said that, um, what was it, like dealing with the financial side of business wasn't your strong point. So how have you overcome that? Um, outsourced. <laughs> I think that it's really important to outsource if you're not good at something or even if it's not that you that you can't do it, but it takes you a long time. I think it's, well, you know, being a freelancer, you'll know as well, it is more cost effective to outsource and support other freelancers and businesses in the industry. Um, and like, I've got a really good relationship with my accountant. He's more than happy for me to ring him up. Or I think he is anyway. Um, <laughs> and ask him like, what's this? You know, can you help me with that? And I think rather than you can feel quite alone as an entrepreneur or a freelancer and I think it's important to realize that there are people out there that can help you and all you have to do is ask have you had much like help like as as I don't know like a business mentor or you know it seems like you've made some some great choices if you haven't been bouncing them off of other people's heads no, I haven't up to now, but actually, funnily enough, I'm just starting with a business mentor. Um, well, he's a business coach, 
I don't know, there's lots of different terms for the word, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. But um, and it's kind of, I found the first stages of a business quite easily because it happened so naturally. What I want to do now is look at how, like, what I do next and how to kind of streamline what I'm doing um, because even though I'm an agency, I think I've still got a way to go before I fully present the business in that way. Like, you know, I, I very much, everything rests on my head. So in that respect, you know, as a business, you have limited liability and it is, I have got Joshua rely on, but I think it's trying to streamline that model and make it so that I'm more dispensable, which I think when you're running a business, you can't have one person as the be all and end all. Yeah, which is freelancers we are, but yeah, it's it's that being able that if you were removed from it, it would still keep going. Exactly, yeah, and that's what I think in terms of you know, I mean, touch wood, I'm fit and healthy and can't see anything going wrong in the foreseeable future. But if something did happen, or even just I went away for on holiday, you know, the business doesn't grind to a halt, and I think that's kind of the stage that I want to push on to next and really sort of um, reinforce the business, if you like. So does that, as you do that, do you see that you're going to be writing less and less and it's more about bringing clients on board and managing them? Is that how it feels? Yeah, kind of. I do want to have that, you know, at the moment if I do that, it's on top of all of my workload. Um, and so, like, at the moment I'm working sort of 12-hour days just to get everything done because I'm trying to bring in business, but at the same time I need to do the work. So. To an extent, yes, but because I do love writing and that's something I'm really passionate about, I want to be able to carry that on. But I think it's more a case of doing quality over quantity, which at the moment I'm working a lot of hours um, and that's what's not sustainable. And when it comes to, because you just mentioned a holiday, is that doable? Well, last like last year, for example, I took a two-week holiday and it was fantastic. I gave my clients like a couple of months' notice, so that worked really well. It didn't, you know, nobody was left in the lurch. Um, but for the two weeks I was away, the business stopped. And what I'm hoping is when I go on holiday this year in September, which is only for a week, to be fair, I'll be able to at least leave it ticking over to a certain extent so that, you know, if an inquiry comes in or if there's a deadline or... Um, you know, some work needs to be done, it's not just left until I come back to a week's worth of work to catch up. How about, like, the services that you offer? Has that changed over time? It has, um, but not... I mean, for example, what I do now with a lot of my clients is when they... For example, if they want to do blogging, I'll come up with a list of titles and help them with strategy planning. But I don't offer the, like consulting as a service, for example, because I don't see it as beneficial to either me or the client to charge for that because it benefits me if I can have a list of signed-off titles that I've created that I can just work through on a weekly or fortnightly basis. So in terms of my service offering, it has, you know, it has increased, but I'm still offering the same you know, like product descriptions, blogs, um, newsletters, things like that. But I think I'm just offering more of a refined sort of end-to-end service so that because you've got to see how your your services are solving problems. And what I've always found is that my clients don't have the time or the ideas. And so, yeah, by adding value on, I've been able to increase my prices, I've been able to build better relationships and ultimately get more work out of my clients. Yeah, yeah, nice. Okay, now I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie, and then let me figure out the lie. So what do you have for me, Kelly? 
Okay, so number one, I once played the drums with Alt J. Wow. Number two, I've written a best selling novel under a pseudonym. <laughs> and number three, before I was a writer, I was a waitress in Turkey. Can I ask, like, what the name of the novel is? Adventures in South America. Am I allowed to ask a pseudonym or does that then just blow it all away? Yeah, it's, it's called Thaka Masala. <laughs> it's what? Okay. And you came up with that, did you? Yeah, no, I, basically I just, I saw the name on a street sign and I just thought, <laughs> well, well, that will do. That will have to do because I can't think of a name that... You know, when you look at... You can never come up with a great name. That's one thing I think the novelists <laughs> find really hard to do is come up with names. So I just got it off the side of the street. It was Thaka Masala. Wow. So you played the drums with Alt-J. Um, how did that happen? Well, just a disclaimer here. They weren't at the time Alt-J. So basically, ah. when I was at school... There was um, a teacher in my class called Mr. Green and his son was called Tom Green, who is the drummer in Alt-J. And there was a raffle when I was at school. My mum, I was desperate to play the drums. I was a real tomboy at the time. And um, so she put a bid in this auction or raffle thing and I, I won a drum lesson. And it was just an hour like playing on the drums with this guy. I think he was a teenager at the time. And... Um, Anyway, I found out from my stepdad, who's a barber recently, that he's the drummer of Alt-J. And, and so I put the two and two together and I was like, that is so cool. Because never, obviously at the time, I'd never have known that he'd have become famous. Okay. Oh, man, that's got to be. Okay. I, but you did say you did waitress at some point. Although in Turkey, did you waitress? Okay. I'm going to say you've not published a novel yeah, no, that, that even with the pseudonym, yes. that was just so bad. <laughs> I would I would have been shocked if you went for that one. It was it was kind of believable, and yet because the other two were so believable, I had to go for that one. Oh, what a shame! You need to write that book and use that name. It is on my list. My t my long term to do list is to write a, a novel, but at the moment, I think I've probably got enough on my plate. Okay, well, when you write the novel, even if you use your real name as the author, that character needs to appear. Masala needs to appear in, in the novel. Definitely. I will bear that in mind. And maybe I could dedicate the book to Thakur Masala. Yes. God, it's got to be in there somewhere. It's got to be in there. I will be checking up, even if it's in 20 years' time. I hope you do. I'd be disappointed if I don't get an email in 20 years going, I knew it. Uh, okay, now if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would it be? Not to worry so much. I'm a massive worry war and I think that's one of the things that I've could have saved myself a lot of stress over the years is things that have worked out fine in the end, but I've fretted and not slept about them. Um, so I think you've you've got to sort of lose those sensitivities and, you know, just... Life goes on, even if something does go wrong in business, life does go on. Nice. Kelly, thank you so much. There are links to everything that Kelly is up to at 
beingfreelance.com. Uh, you can find key takeaway points from this session and uh, links to Kelly on Twitter and her company and all of that kind of stuff as well. Uh, and we'll update it. when Whichever year that novel is published, we'll update it with a link to that on Amazon, no doubt. <laughs> uh, so go take a look. Listen to other guests as well. Don't forget to hit subscribe on iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this, leave a review. Tell people about it. Make sure they listen to it as well and spread the love. But Kelly, thanks so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being there you go. She was nice. Hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget what I mentioned right at the beginning, the live episode of Being Freelance recorded in front of an audience. Get that for free if you are signed up to the Being Freelance mailing list. It's easy to do that. Pop in your email at beingfreelance.com and you'll get the link so you can listen online or download it just for you right now. You can get it if you sign up to the mailing list. Being Freelance. I know I have to bribe you. Jeez, what is this relationship? Being Freelance. Uh, In the meantime, though, have a great week, won't you? Being freelance.